technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... The one thing that I would say is understand and set yourselves up for an emergent journey. 5G is an emergent journey. It isn't a journey that starts now and is understood now. So once you actually partner properly, you orientate your organization to be able to sense opportunities, uh, shape them and seize them, then you have a great chance to monetize on 5G. But, but it's setting yourselves up for that emergent journey and I think they'll, they'll, they'll succeed very well. You're listening to the Futurismic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. are out and telecom companies don't want to get bitten. But when companies like Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google want to build their next generation services to leverage the speed, low latency, and reliability of 5G, there's going to be an opportunity for dumb pipes to become very smart collaborators. But how can the swords be beaten into digital plowshares that serve both the CSP and the customer? I took a virtual trip to the storied Bell Labs in New Jersey to speak with Stephen Rose, and I kind of admit I geeked out a bit. I love this building, this storied institution. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, it is an incredible place, and and we, it's great, and and we're very fortunate to be part of it. Um, so so I run the consulting business for the Europe and Americas business. Uh, we work with two types of customers. We work with um, communication service providers, and we also work with enterprise customers. And what we try to help them do is to envision the future potential for their business um, anchored in network technology. And we do that with three, uh, three different domains. Uh, we look at the network architecture. Uh, we also look at the operations. Uh, and we do techno-economic modeling off the back of those two things to then understand what is the uh, social, economic, and services potential within those uh, businesses, uh, and then we model that for customers. At no point did you explain that you were also a crystal ball reader. <laughs> yeah, well, we we uh, we have a uh, a unique uh, set of individuals in the organization, and future back modeling is something that we uh, we we pride ourselves on. We we try to envision the future. Uh, we try to understand what would be the state of a particular outcome that a, that a client was looking to achieve. And then we work backwards from there. And we, the way we do that is we try to envision what would be the market dynamics um, and those market dynamics at a future point in time, let's say five or 10 years, to what extent have you got resources today? And to what extent do you need new resources? And to what extent can you bring in a value chain or create a value chain? Uh, and once you get the tightest fit between those three things, you normally have good strategy. That value chain is critical because the telecom sector has been struggling to find new growth since 3G. When a communication service provider executive comes to you and asks you to look into that crystal ball, what's the big question they're looking uh, to get? Or more importantly, I suppose, the answer. It's been a difficult road. I mean, and, and, and the challenge with this industry is effectively, if you look at the demand, which is traffic on the network, that is effectively decoupled uh, from the ability to charge for it. And, and that's been a problem that's been around uh, for quite some years. And that is because no matter how much you pump in, you can, you, you'll always have people taking on new services. But the willingness to pay uh, hasn't been as strong as we like. So I think that is ultimately 
the problem. How do you drive new willingness to pay inside of a marketplace? To what extent can you find services uniqueness and differentiation? And to what extent do I achieve that uniqueness and differentiation without putting a ton of cost on the bottom line? So customers are really looking for that dual competitive advantage and to find a new way, a new path to achieve new growth in their business. It's a difficult journey, but it's, it's, I think it's very much possible uh, with, the, with the advent of 5G. And you say the customer. When we're talking about the customer, it strikes me that 4G was about the consumer customer. Is it fair to say 5G is more about the enterprise customer? There is a way in which 5G networks will radicalize enterprise businesses. Uh, so there is no question that there is a, a, a huge potential in the enterprise, but it doesn't mean that it is exclusive uh, for, for uh, those enterprise customers. We will still see a lot of use cases in the consumer space, um, not just faster broadband access, but what we will really see, especially with the advent of COVID, is we're going to see a lot more people, of course, working at home in the long term. So, of course, everybody's working in the, in, at home in the, in the short term right now, but, but many, many people will stay working like that. And then that sacred sort of break between or the, or the threshold of your front door, which was your home versus your work, that is now forevermore broken for many people. And so what we will need to see is a whole vast array of new services that will support working, working from home. And that's a mixture of applications uh, to do uh, things like collaboration, as well as obviously uh, increased quality of service and speed on networks. But how has COVID changed the CSP 5G game plan in a way that would allow that increase in ARPU because you're providing that value add? At this point in the game, is is the CSP benefiting from the work from home experience or are we just at the early stages? Well, I think we're still at the early stages, but, but the thing that the that the industry needed to break, that it wasn't able to break by itself, was cultural inertia. And if you look at the cultural inertia in, in, in many firms, they are stuck to old ways of working, whether it be old IT systems or old ways of communicating or whatever it happened to be. And COVID came along and it rewrote, rewrote the rules. Uh, one of my neighbors just happens to be um, working in a, in, a, in a communications firm himself and he was talking to me about the fact that he'd been trying for years to get his organization as a, as a CTO, he was trying to get his organization to work in new ways. COVID came along and solved that problem for him as much as it's a terrible disease. Um, the, the, uh, the reality is, is that there was a new forced way of working. And so what does that really mean for CSPs? It means that two things. One is people actually need redundancy in their, in their systems. I'm often talking to customers using um, LTE uh, and I'm often presenting in the same meeting using Wi-Fi. Yeah, and that's, so there's, there will be opportunities um, in, just in, in terms of having better, uh, better, better standards of communication and more redundancy in my communication because it's pivotal. I'm no longer using it just for gaming or for communicating with my friends or whatever it happens to be, social media, uh, but I'm actually using this now to make a living. And in the future, what we will see is a lot more partnerships and those partnerships really will be where connectivity providers and applications providers will come together to figure out what would be the future use cases together. And you can imagine uh, the Zooms of this world uh, or other types of, of communications platforms like that, can no, can, they cannot be the static video communications, the kind of transactional way in which you, know, you, you would use those, those applications today. They're going to be completely radicalized. And what will happen to them is that they will need to be collaboration tools. So there'll be a lot more built collaboration built into that so that as people are sat in lo remote locations, and they're trying to interact with each other, 
they'll be able to emulate the first person experience as much as that they can or the real world experience as much as they can through AR, VR and other, other integrated platforms, platforms in there. So you'll see much, much more uh, systems of activities and systems of application providers coming together to create that service matrix or that service mesh. Is that what you're talking about when you refer to constellations of value? It's a great uh, uh, sort of phrase um, because it, it's, it's easy then to envisage uh, what will happen. If we think about traditional value chains there have been um, existing in, in, in our industry, most of, the, most of the value chains have been in a sort of CSP at the top of the chain and everybody else sort of supplying into that. But I can see a, a vast reorientation from from communication services providers to understand that first off, if they want to address the enterprise sector uniquely, they need to understand the enterprise business. So what they're doing is they're hiring people and they're partnering with people to, or, or different firms around the world to actually have a much better understanding of the vertical that they're trying to address and therefore they can actually define use cases. And the only way to do that, unless you're going to hire everybody yourself or unless you're going to uh, be very, very uh, dominant in the way in which you want to have partnership strategies, the best way is to create constellations. And those constellations do two things. They try to figure out in the immediate term what is available uh, as, an, as, an, as, a, as an opportunity in the marketplace. But the other thing is they co-invent and they co-create uh, together. And because they, co or, yeah, because they co-create and co-invent, co they actually create those constellations of value where not only do they do figure out today's services, but they figure out what are the future services and then they uh, reap the benefits together in new new forms of commercial uh, constellation as much as it is a technical constellation. Let's talk a little bit more about how you reorient yourself as a CSP to, first of all, make those constellations possible in the first place. Yeah, it's a difficult journey because if you look at the makeup or if you look at the structure of the telco sector, it's typically done, uh, most of its procurement in massive cycles. Yeah, you buy an, an entire lump of the network uh, at a at a single point during the year. There's intense rivalry to obviously bid amongst that uh, for that for that particular piece of business, and therefore you don't often get the best out of that. It's not the most inventive or creative process because it is really a process that drives uh, the value chain down to the lowest common denominator, which is price per X, whatever that X happens to be. Um. So so one of the things that uh, uh, the CSPs are doing is they're starting to take a different shift in, in the way in which they think about procuring and partnering. So partnering is suddenly we're talking about shared benefit. We're talking about shared models. We're having to talk about um, changes in the terms and conditions uh, that enable a different type of behavior in the capitalist structure that those two companies are trying to run. So that's, that's one way. The other way is really having to think about what are the completely different types of services that will happen in the future? And if they happen, what is the network architecture and the operations around that? The network architecture obviously has to change if you want to provide low latency, high performance services, and you want to be able to assure a type of SLA, then not only do you have to be willing to put yourself out in front of the end customer, the end use case, and commit to the SLA, but everybody through the chain has to commit to that too. So that's a complete operational change that comes with it. As you back-to-back -back the commercial agreements between all of those in the value chain, you also have to do that operationally. And that becomes a very, very complex thing because then once you have interdependent vendors that are providing their hardware and software together, they will have then critical interdependencies between them and then the service levels 
and the OLAs or operative uh, level agreements that enable you to support hardware and software have to be back to back through the value chain. So it becomes quite complex and therefore that's a big, big shift in the way that you would uh, uh, operate a, a telco network in the future. So then let's talk about that partnering and let's talk about it in relation to the fangs, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Most of these players have, for example, their own cloud offerings. And we know Edge Cloud is a critical component to 5G. Should a CSP view the fangs as competitors or are they the partners we're talking about? Well, they potentially both. Um, (laughs) I think we're at early, uh, again, we're at early stage, uh, but we are seeing... Uh, very significant progress in the way that CSPs are partnering uh, with web scale providers. And, uh, and we can see that uh, in, a, in a range of announcements all, all, all across the world. Uh, the, the, the challenge for CSPs is ensuring that their value in that chain is such that the willingness to pay is something that they're very much more um, able to control and influence and therefore um, they, they are not overly commoditized uh, by offerings that come out from the fangs. And so at the edge cloud, there are there are there there is the compute and storage, of course, that comes at the edge cloud. Uh, and there's a great deal of competitive uh, rivalry already in that particular space. But if you're going to move into the next layer where you want to assure a service level beyond what, these, uh, what the web scale providers are prepared to do today, then that moves the CSP into an altogether different set of use cases and those use cases are really tied to either some sort of business benefit that are going to change the way in which a, a end customer can go to market or it's going to shave a lot of cost off of the way in which their existing uh, operations are, are working today. So there's a great deal of opportunities for CSPs but they have to ensure that they have the technical capabilities that keeping them one step ahead of the web scale players such that the web scale players are, are willing to take you know contribute to that value chain um, at the edge cloud space, but the CSPs will still be in control of the high performance functions, and those high performance functions is where the where the where the complexity comes in. And if the CSPs control the complexity, naturally, that's where their value add comes in in in, in the overall chain. That then sounds like outside expertise that you can't just hire from within when you are building out a 5G network with the intent of leveraging it to turn a lot of those former competitors into cooperators to help build your ARPU. Yes, it, and it is very interesting. We, we, we are seeing CSPs rethink their strategies at, at, at pretty spectacular levels. Uh, so if, 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 we, if we imagine what it was like to go from being a 3G operator into becoming a 4G operator, the transition was still there. It needed new marketing and new sales and new value propositions. But ultimately, what we were doing was we were putting a level of technology into the marketplace and the market was able to understand that and it didn't necessarily change uh, the entire value chain in terms of that complexity. But if you're going to offer the types of SLAs that we were talking about uh, earlier on, then you have to completely rethink what are the what are the ways in which you would hire fire in your own organization or or repurpose if you want to call it a bit more kindly uh, but also what is the core and context for the rest of the organization and if you are going to move in, into particular spaces you have to be quite ruthless about that and I, I i see that the fangs have done that particularly well they understand what is their core business they understand the core f- theory of their firm and they ruthlessly hire around that or they ruthlessly partner around that and they don't get you know encumbered by 
the idea of legacy systems or legacy services or whatever it is uh, there is. And, and CSPs have to think in the same way. What is the core and context? What do they want to be uh, five years from now? And then they need to shape their organization in such a way that they can they can achieve that particular outcome. And there's some great examples around the world where structural separation has been happening. So firms, some of the CSPs are still sticking with the same value proposition, but they're structurally separating because the core theory of their firm is that at one end, you've got a, a servco and that servco is obviously then taking more of, 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 a, of a challenge of monetizing spectrum and ensuring that their go-to-market um, is, is more sophisticated. Um, as they go towards enterprise. And then the InfraCo underneath is providing the services uh, to support a range of, 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 uh, of different services that are coming up. Uh, but if you look in other markets, you've got um, some firms that have decided that they're out of the existing business. They're moving themselves into becoming an InfraCo business because they see the competitiveness for future services is too high in a certain way. They've got the assets or they've got the capillarity or they've got the, uh, the, the skills and the, and the culture that suits to become an InfraCo. And so they're moving themselves into there. So we're seeing very, very strong changes. Um, and a lot of it really depends on geographically where you are, but also the competitive rivalry within a particular market. So if a CSP finds itself speaking to an enterprise customer that's, say, already using an Amazon Web Services or something similar, I suppose then we have to reorient our thinking away from how do I steal that enterprise customer away from that Amazon people? to how do I provide value added to their existing relationships? Yeah, it, it, it is. And, 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 and I typically use a, a very simple model uh, with, our, with our customers. I draw a straight line which represents the willingness to pay. And above the line, I show that the, where, where the customer is that I'm talking to and we map out what the value chain is. So their value chain plus their own assets. And we see what, to what extent that drives willingness to pay. Uh, from from their perspective. And then what we do is we map the competition below that and you see to what extent they have a value chain and how well organized that value chain is and to what extent do they have their, their own assets and to what extent are those assets, once they're coupled with the value chain, uh, create a level of competitiveness between uh, the customer and all of the competitors in the marketplace. And if you can continuously understand that, then you've got a good chance of, of, of understanding to what extent you've got uh, an ability to command a premium or to what extent you've got differentiation. But there is a, a very, very uh, uh, strong mindset shift when you think about going into cooperation models and you start thinking about, well, to what extent am I willing to share my resources and my assets? And of course, if we see in Sweden, Denmark, and, and you know, many other markets, for example, these cooperation models are, are quite prevalent, especially on the, on the, on the RAN uh, networks. Uh, but, but it's not a typical mindset that exists in our industry, but it is maturing um, and, it is, and the hand is being forced. If you're a very, very small, um, if you're existing in a very small country and you've got a finite amount of customers that you can, uh, you can address, uh, you really have to start thinking differently about how do you continuously do that and do that profitably whilst you've got all that competitiveness around you. But I can just imagine those old school telecom executives saying, you're telling me I have to become interdependent. That takes control away from me. And in the long run, my customer gets the upper hand. Well, it's, it's funny. And I would, I would say that I probably am one of those old school telecom executives. I've been in this industry for <laughs> 25 years or so. But, uh, but I do see major shift in the mindsets. Uh, and I do see major shifts in the in the um, willingness of CSPs to rethink their business and to rethink how 
uh, they they need to orient orientate themselves as individuals and their teams and their organizations. So so I am very hopeful for this industry, and it has survived some tumultuous waves. And if we look at not just the infra, in, uh, sorry the um, uh, the uh, OEMs, but also the CSPs themselves, uh, they 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 have they have managed to still find growth even through you know, enormous amounts of of competition. But I think it is it is a, a an increasing problem, and it is and it is a rapidly increasing problem that the levels of competitiveness that this industry is is under will accelerate. And and then the problem is is of course compounded by the fact that we will probably see a ten x increase in traffic over the next years with the explosion of the fourth industrial revolution. So um, we are we are the hand is being forced one way or the other. So it sounds like what you're saying is the innovation cycle needs to change inside a CSP, create the services, go to market, instantiate more quickly than we've done before. But how do you A-B test what works and what doesn't? Yeah, I think it's it's important we go back to the original problem statement, which is um, CSPs need to find growth whilst being under huge competitive pressure and ultimately regulators set the conditions for, for success. And that includes, of course, um, the huge sums of money that get spent on on, on spectrum. Um, if we if we think to the industry and government ambitions to deploy digital pa- fabric, it's clear that the policy and intervention of regulators must be considerate of all of these issues, uh, and and then you know weigh that off against future investment scenarios. So if we if we turn to LAT as an example, we can see that there's been more uh, intervention around tariff and controls. Um, and that might make some sense in the short term, especially around uh, this uh, COVID crisis, but potentially long term might be a shot in the foot when we see that, that A, the CSPs get the short term profit problem, of course, but second, that the long term there may be a, a dissuasion around inward investment. And of course, that would ultimately see the technologies deployed at slower rates and in turn you know, we would see slower GDP growth. So not a great ripple effect. Um, if we look to Europe, we can see that ARPU is a lot lower than than compared to the US. And there's already been some co-opetition efforts around RAND sharing. So that's a great example of that. But there's an obsession around, certain obsession around uh, consumer protection. And you can can draw quite a straight line between regulatory intervention uh, uh, to protect that consumer protection uh, uh, policy and M&A scenario. So I think we, we, we need to have regulators appreciate the CSP challenge, uh, work within the nuance of, of, of trading off um, issues of, of consolidation and accelerated uh, technology deployment, and then and therefore ultimately achieve the country level agendas that unlocks billions of, uh, of dollars of telco enabled GDP growth. All that said, regulators clearly have a huge role to play. Well, at some point when spectrum assets become depleted, you've argued that there would be an inflection point where one of the big pushbacks that we've gotten from the industry wholesale, the idea of, you know, letting others use your spectrum. Like once those spectrum assets become depleted, you argue there's an inflection point where wholesale will actually become attractive. That seems counterintuitive to me. I would have assumed that the less spectrum you have, the more likely you are to guard it. <laughs> well, but then the problem is, is that what you do is, 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 the, is the whoever holds that spectrum ultimately puts society into a hold-up position, and and of course that's not the intention of a, of, of a CSP. That's that's not the outright intention. Uh, but if somebody has always been somebody's strangle-held by regulatory conditions or or notions of of um, pure 
profit, then naturally uh, there are going to be limitations. So um, I don't advocate for this utopian idea that everybody should share everything, but I think there is, is potential for um, governments to um, encourage the idea that resources are finite and therefore um, there are social responsibility that comes along with the idea of, of, of building, operating and owning network assets, which are of extreme national uh, importance. Uh, so I think, again, I think we will see, um, you know, nudging towards the right types of conditions. I don't think it should be anything that should be wholesale shifts um, in terms of regulatory intervention, because I, th I, I think that you, if you put a, a violent action, you'll get a violent reaction. Uh, but I think a, a constant encouragement and nudging from a regulatory standpoint would would enable at some point uh, the resources to be shared and, and everybody still benefit in the way that they need to. Uh, I, I also see that, there, as, 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 as you said, there will come an inflection point when resources run out and you still want to grow your business. How are you going to do that without the resource? Well, you are going to have to somehow pull it or be more clever. If a CSP only had 30 seconds to listen to this program, what would be the big takeaway you want them to focus upon? Mm, great question. Uh, the one thing that I would say is understand and set yourselves up for an, an emergent journey. 5G is an emergent journey. It isn't a journey that starts now and is understood now. So once you actually partner properly, you orientate your organization to be able to sense opportunities, uh, shape them and seize them, then you have a great chance to monetize on 5G. But but it's setting yourselves up for that emergent journey, and I think they'll, they'll, they'll succeed very well. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting futurhythmic.com. The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.